Good morning. And intro music here. So. <laughs> yeah, that sounds accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. Um, so, hello, everybody. Episode four. We're back again. We're, we're back at it. And we're all surprised. <laughs> I mean, it, truly, <laughs> truly. Um, for those of you just joining us, welcome. Where have you been? And also, <laughs> hi. <laughs> and um, please follow us on social media. Twitter, we're at Oddities Tweets. Instagram, we're at Oddities Insta. And if you have any story suggestions, topics, whatever, uh, we have an email. It's oddities.talk at gmail.com. And we're also under... Not under Facebook. We're on Facebook. You can be under it, too. <laughs> Pick your poison. Uh, under Oddities Podcast. The uh, also, the voice you were just hearing is Cassie, and I'm Anna. Yes, hi. I'm Cassie. Killing it this week. Starting so, off, coming in hot. Coming in hot. How are you? How's, uh, how's it's, life? It's hanging in. I'm having some coffee. It's the morning when we're recording this, so I got my coffee. Slurp back on. Yeah. Good morning, coffee slurp. What's going on with you? <laughs> Nothing really. I was visiting mom and dad this week, uh, so I'm heading back to Pennsylvania tomorrow. That's fun. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna catch a movie later. <gasps> what movie? And I think we're gonna see the one with um, The Rock and Jason Statham. I couldn't oh, tell you what it's called. Oh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, it's not going to be, you know, groundbreaking, but no. we love The Rock. Who doesn't love The Rock, you know? <laughs> so we're going to go see it. And I think we're going to Salad Works after. So oh, like, what a day. It's going to be a good day. We were going to do The Pool, but then we were like, eh, why don't we do a movie instead? And so that's what's happening. I don't know what's out, but, like, I kind of want to see a movie. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. Oh, I just set my remote down and my microphone lit up. It was like, boom. That's Okay. I figured out how to silence shit because there was the one episode we were recording and there was just like sirens. In the oh background. yeah, because yeah, because cops love to just blow through this light over here. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like talking and be like whoop whoop, and I was like, oh, I can silence it. I figured I'm learning. Oh my god, the <laughs> door of the explorer is out. Oh yeah. Yeah, so. I can't. I. That, oh, the Lion King is out. Uh, yeah, we were talking about either the Lion King or the Rock, but then we were like, not the Rock, so we're going to do the yeah. Rock. Even though Lion King is probably more of a, a big screener than the one we're seeing. I mean, I feel like uh, Hobbs and Shaw is, they're, they're going to make use of that, you know? Like, there'll be explosions oh, and yeah. shit. I saw the trailer yeah, for that, like, a building comes down, I was like, oh, yeah, this seems right. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. So, yeah, anyway, that's the latest. Um, and then I'll be home again. In a few weeks, so we should try and meet up if, if possible. Yeah, and uh, yeah, life life got hectic this time. With I had doctor's appointments and yeah, I had a death. So <laughs> that too. So, so you know, life is tiring. This week wasn't kind. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what do you have for me today? Today it's like a complete and total surprise, and I'm I'm I know I'm excited. So I'm sweating. I knew what you were gonna do, which I'm I'll leave for you to announce, but. Or I think you said it last week. Anyway. Probably. probably. I'm doing the flannel aisle lighthouse keepers. Ooh, 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 ooh. This might be the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> wow. My, like, 
self-made EDM music there for Loved a that. <laughs> um, I had heard of this vaguely, and then I researched it, and I was like, what? I want to see if it's the one I'm thinking Because, of. okay, spoiler alert, I looked for places where people disappeared. Nice. And there was this place called Ho H-O-E-R Verde, and okay. in, like, Brazil or something, and I was like, oh my god, this sounds so cool. And then I got to the end of the Reddit post, and they were like, yeah, this isn't real. And I was like, oh. oh fuck. I was like, I'm annoyed. <laughs> Um, so the Flannel Isle Lighthouse Keepers had a Wikipedia, so it is real. (laughs) (laughs) So therefore, yeah. So here we go. I'm going to butcher a lot of Scottish names. I'm very sorry to all of our Scottish listeners. So. (laughs) Of which there's probably, probably zero. Probably a ton. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the background. It's a lighthouse near the highest point on Elian Moor, one of the Flannel Isles in the outer hybrids off the west coast of Scotland. Sure. I know it well. Yeah. We're very familiar with the area. Wildly familiar with that right, region. Right. So it's a 75-foot lighthouse built between 1895 and 1899 and first lit on the 7th of December, 1899. So, lit. Lit. So, <laughs> the, so the lighthouse went a full year of existence before something weird happened. On 15th of December, 1990. It was manned by three guys, James Ducat, Thomas Marshall, and Donald MacArthur. Yes. Which, god damn it, you couldn't get more UK names if you tried. <laughs> so UK. So, a boat called the Hesperus landed there, and no one was there to greet them. So the ship blew its whistle Dicks. and shot up a flare, which is what I do when I get to my house and no one's there to greet me. <laughs> toot toot. It shoots up a flare. So I guess to alert people in the lighthouse that the boat had arrived. And the Hesperus had like kind of a shitty journey getting there. Like they were delayed, then a storm, and they were like, oh my god. So when no one came out, a man went ashore and found that the entrance gate to the compound and the main door were both closed, the beds were unmade, and the clock was stopped. Which I was like, shit. Oh dear. What's up with the clock? Aliens. Well, so, okay. At first I was like, aliens. But this is 1900. Oh, winding. They probably had to wind Mm -hmm. him. So the guy was just like, I'll do that tomorrow. And then never did it. So Still aliens. aliens. So actually there is a a thing about aliens here. A further search search revealed that the lamps had been cleaned and refilled. And a set of oil skins was found, which was like a waterproof garment. Suggesting that the lighthouse keepers had left without them, which was odd considering the severe weather, which had been noted in the last entry of the lighthouse log. Hmm. So they were like, dude, it's really shitty out, and then didn't take their preventative clothing. Like you do. Like you do. The only sign of anything wrong in the lighthouse was an overturned chair by the kitchen table. And that was it. Fuck that chair. It was just like, Munk. <laughs> oh. There was a, That was the noise I made. There was no there's no sign of any of the keepers neither inside the lighthouse nor anywhere on the island. So, the thought Tell me. was that the accident had happened a week prior to the Hesperus arriving due to the clocks being stopped and that a storm wrecked an area of the island which prompted the lighthouse keepers to attend to it and an accident to befall them. Interesting. But what about the the entry in the journal about the the storm or the bad weather? Yeah. Yeah. Did it have a date? 
I guess the last logged one, I don't know if it had a date. Shit. And then on the Alien Moore Island, the men scoured every corner of the island for clues as to the fate of the keepers, and no bodies were ever found. What the fuck? Okay. So, implausible stories ensued to this. Here comes your fave. My favorite kind of story. That's right. A sea serpent, or a seabird. That one's my favorite. A seabird? What is a seabird? I'm, like a really large seagull? I'm imagining like a Jersey seagull, like, get him! <laughs> like, but like huge so they could grab men right (laughs) they left on a boat and started their lives anew which that's a big mood like like you're just like i'm out and you leave every day every single day they were abducted by foreign spies there it is and they had met their fate through a malevolent presence of a boat filled with ghosts oh i love that one you'd be a big fan of that one there Nothing like a good ghost boat, right? So, a uh, different theory have a, like different theories have amassed over the years, but this one is that the keepers were fined five shillings. So, okay, the only equivalency I could find is five Kenyan shillings because Kenya is a British <laughs> Commonwealth, right? And so that's roughly forty nine cents in dollars. So they were fined forty nine cents for their equipment getting washed away in a huge gale storm. So in an effort to avoid another fine, the keepers could have gone down to secure the equipment and gotten washed away themselves. Okay. That's plausible. Then there was also, one... I love the passive-aggressive fine. I know. They're like, you dicks. There was, a, <laughs> there was a one a theory that one man fell into the sea and the other two attempted to save him and drowned as well. That sucks. Yeah. That would absolutely suck. Yeah. And then this one's my favorite. So, MacArthur was apparently very volatile. and Me too. Yeah, big time. <laughs> and could have gotten into a fight near the cliff's edge, resulting in them all falling to their deaths, which I don't buy that. But That's my favorite. He, he, right. It was noted in the log that he was exhibiting odd behavior and could have killed the two men and thrown their bodies into the sea before throwing himself off the cliff. Ooh. Here's the kicker. Paranormal theories include alien abduction. Yes, yes, yes. Tell me more. <laughs> so I guess they think that these three... Because when you look at it on a map, it's literally like water and then the smallest island imaginable. And that's where they are. So like... Right. And apparently the caves are very... Um, like when the storms hit the caves the waves, like, overwhelm the caves. So if they had even been like, oh, I'll get into this cave for shelter, like, they would have gotten washed away. They're fucked, yeah. Ooh. But here, if they knew bad weather was coming, like, they were like, oh, shit, it's bad weather, maybe a storm's coming, why would they go back out into it? I don't know, because, like, 49 cents isn't worth it. Right. Like, just... So... Right. Just let (laughs) that shit wash away. away. Just let it go, dude. Yeah, oh, okay, so... Well... We know my favorites of all. Ghost ship. That would be ghost ship or alien abduction. aliens. Followed closely by starting their MacArthur. life anew. <laughs> oh right, starting their <laughs> life anew. Forgot that one. And then followed by MacArthur getting like really pissed off and like fighting with the two of them by the edge of a cliff and throwing them all three off. 
Three grown men throwing all. We're all going down together. That's it. You're coming with okay, me. Okay, so those are those are my top choices because. Well, I mean, I think it's like evident why. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, big time. Of the logical choices. There's, like, a few things. So, like, if MacArthur was, like, exhibiting strange behavior, and they're all on this isolated, like, tiny-ass island, chances are they don't have a lot of ships coming and going, I would think. I, I would think so. Could, Especially if, it's, could lose if it. it's bad weather. It's bad weather. Like, it's probably dark the majority of the time. Right. Like, I'm picturing this to be, like, you know, it's December, right, you said? Yes. You know, there's not a shitload of sunlight and everything, and somebody could easily lose it. And I feel like he could have totally lost would. it. I 100% would lose it, but like my version of losing it would, well, I might kill somebody, but also I'd probably go a little bit cast away and like befriend, there wouldn't be a volleyball, but I'd probably befriend like a boulder or some shit. The chair, the chair that fell over. The chair that fell over. And then after everybody left me, the only thing left would be the chair and I'd be pissed at that, so I'd kick it over. Right, me and chair. (sighs) Fuck you, chair. (laughs) So I, you know, um, I could see that. And I could also, like, very plausibly see, you know, uh, like, weather sucked. So, uh, I could see the bad weather thing. You know, they went outside probably to check on their 49 cents worth of bullshit, and then got swept away or whatever else. But let's also just go back to the seabird a minute. <laughs> or a sea monster. Or a sea monster. Which... But I, like, really, I prefer the bird over the monster. <laughs> Right. What I think is interesting, though, is that they were like, we're going to search for bodies on an island, which I get. But like, if you were if you were MacArthur and you were going to murder these guys, why would you leave their bodies on the island? I've tossed those fuckers right off. You have a huge like resource right there. Just toss them in. Who's dredging the ocean? No one. See ya. Weather weather sucks, so they'll probably get swept out. Like it's done. And they end up and on another if, island. Yeah, and and that's a whole new mystery. <laughs> and then and we're and then we're back to this podcast. We're like, they were from <laughs> Flannel Island. But what I thought Conspiracies was funny is yeah. that a uh, a movie is either coming out this year or coming out in, or has come out. I don't know. I'm not sure. Called <laughs> The Vanishing with. About this story with Gerard Butler and Peter Mullen, who was amazing in Westworld. Well, gotta watch that. I know. I feel like we should rent it for the podcast. Abs- 100. Well, that'll be our first movie review. The Vanishing. The Vanishing. We've been wanting to do that anyway, so that's perfect. Sold. Also, It Chapter 2 comes out September 6th. Oh, that's like not that... Can you believe it? It's not that far. IMAX tickets are already on sale. Uh, They're going to show that shit in IMAX. Are you going to watch it in IMAX? Yeah, of course I am. I was looking for IMAX theaters near me. I was like, oh (laughs) my god. My friend comes over to my phone. She's like, what are you doing? Like, nothing. Go away from me. She was like, don't talk to me. She was like, this movie's a month away. I was like, silence. (laughs) (laughs) Mortal. Yeah. (laughs) Too excited. Yeah. And of course I knew you would love Alien Abduction. You know I love that shit. I love a good... I want to car- uh, carry... I'm like, what's wrong with me? I want to cover some aliens. I want to carry some aliens. <laughs> Honestly, I want to carry some aliens, too. I mean, <laughs> why not? Add it to the list. That's, right. That's a good one. I had heard of that one, I think. But I honestly... I didn't really know. Like, the tipped over the chair, the 
the clock and all that. Sh- that's cool. That's a good story. Mm-hmm. That was a good surprise. Right? Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> that was great. Shall we jump into mine? Yes. Wait, 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 though. Before we do that, so what do you think is, in your mind, what is the number one thing that probably happened? Okay. With those dudes. If they're saying he's exhibiting odd behavior and he was yeah. volatile, I think he got into a fight with them, killed one of them, or killed both of them, threw him into the sea, and then jumped off the cliff. I think I agree. Either that, or they were all securing equipment, and a big wave came, and that was it. And just fucked them over. Which, that's yeah. gotta be the worst way to go. Yeah, that would really suck. I don't want to think about it. Me neither. That's all I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so kids and adults and probably three of you listening to this, meaning my parents and probably someone you know. And my mom. Hey, mom. Also myself, I listen. <laughs> I'm going to listen to all of me. I, we don't need this list. <laughs> Hashtag self-support. <laughs> it's fine. It's... Okay. So hi, everybody listening who gives any kind of a shit. Today I am talking about, and I am sweating because I'm so excited. She's, I'm she's talking hard. about my girl, the like one of the most boss women in history, I think, Amelia Earhart. She was so effing cool. I've been obsessed with this woman since I was like six, and I couldn't tell you why, but I do have a fun fact for you before we get going. I'm I'm ready. You're gonna melt, fucking to the ground. Are you ready? Because this is fire. Ready. Do you remember the Magic Treehouse books? Yeah. Okay, so I used to love those books growing up. Sure. And there was a competition where you had to write in and give her an idea for the next book. Fuck and off. I wrote in, I'm not going to, I wrote in about Amelia Earhart and I won and I won a cardboard treehouse. I know that. <laughs> Yes! It was so cool! It's, like, the only thing I've won in life. Well, I mean, like, you know, like, I've gotten, like, shit for shit that I did in college, but, like, I'm more proud of this than any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Hands down. Honestly, that's a big mood. That, I didn't know Dude. that. Yes! So, I'm a legend. Yeah, big time. And that's it. A legend talking about a legend. <laughs> oh, what a day. So, anyway, let me get into this. Yeah. I've got, like, a... Br- a brief, not so brief history of Amelia. Earhart. No, that's good because I realized I was like, do I know that much about her other than what she did and that she disappeared? You're gonna learn today. You're gonna learn today. I'm, I'm ready. Okay, so Amelia Earhart, obviously, for those of you who don't know who she is, get off and stop listening. Okay. But also stay on, stay on, and get educated. So she was an aviation pioneer and also an author. She was the first female aviator to fly across the Atlantic Ocean, Ooh. and she received the. I know, and she received the U.S. Distinguished Flying Cross for this accomplishment. She set, like, a whole shitload of records. Like, I mean, everywhere, like, listed them, there was an ass load, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to talk about all these. But she did a lot She did a lot of shit. She lived a lot. <laughs> and, um... Just burped into the mic. She wrote... <laughs> this is a theme. <laughs> I think we're, like, three for four on that. <laughs> Worth it. Um, she wrote several be- best-selling books about her experiences and um she was instrumental in the formation of a group called the 99s which was an organization for female pilots yes 
Really cool. And then in 1935, she became a visiting faculty member at Purdue as an advisor to aeronautical engineering, and she was also a career counselor to women's students. I know. How do I not know any... Okay, why don't we learn more about her in school? She's incredible. She's amazing, and I'm not done. Like, there's more. Because she's a fucking boss. So, I'm going to tell you about how she's a fucking boss. She was also a member of the National Women's Party, and she was an early supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment. Supporter. Supporter. Which, by the way, just so everyone knows, the Equal Rights Amendment was never ratified. So... So, right, the unratified Equal Rights Amendment, but she was a supporter. She also, like, I mean, she did all this shit. She launched her own fashion line. And here's what the real kicker. You know what? I'm going to get to the kicker. Just you fucking hold hold on to your hat. Hold the kicker. Hold the hats. Okay, so she's most well-known, unfortunately, despite all these really cool things, she's most well-known because of her attempt to make a circumnavigational flight around the globe in 1937 in a Purdue-funded Lockheed Model 10E Electroplane, and she disappeared with her navigator, Fred Noonan. And they disappeared somewhere over the Central Pacific Ocean near Howland Island, which I'll talk about. Um, And so that's why she's most well-known. But I just want to go back a second and be like, can we not know her for all the other amazing things that she did? Like, seriously. Uh, So anyway, she was born in 1897 in Kansas. She was a tomboy growing up. She had a huge sense of adventure. At the age of 10, uh, the family moved to Iowa due to her dad's job, and then she saw her first aircraft at the Iowa State Fair. Um, <clears throat> growing up, she was always interested in science and reading. Uh, she first started at a junior college, but then left. We're, we're older now, by the way. We've jumped. <laughs> we're not 10 anymore. Right. Yeah, uh, she first started at a junior college, but left to help with the Red Cross as a nursing aide um, and helped at a military hospital. Um, and she also helped out with the Spanish influenza outbreak of 1918. Jesus. I know. After that, uh, she and a, a young friend of hers, um, they visited an air fear, uh, fair. An air fair. Air <laughs> Fuck me. Air fair held in conjunction with the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto. Love them Canadians. Big time. Um, <clears throat> one of the highlights was a flying exhibition put on by a World War One ace. Uh, and the pilot... I guess, like, spotted Earhart and her friend, and they were, like, dived at them. And Earhart recounted it, saying, I'm sure he said to himself, watch me make them scamper. And then she just stood her ground as the aircraft came close, and she was like, I didn't understand it at the time, but I think that little red airplane said something to me as it swished by. So, like, after that point, she was like, okay, planes. Oh, my God. Fuck yeah, Amelia. She's such a badass. So, anyway... 1919, she prepares to go back to college. She was going to go to Smith College, but then she changed her mind and casually enrolled at Columbia. Casual. Um, That's what and I of did course, too. in medical, in in medical, me too, <laughs> in medical studies, because uh, she was thinking about becoming a doctor. And she quit a year later to be with her parents, who had like they had split a while, and then they reunited in California. So she's out in California now in 1920, December 28th in Long Beach, and she went with her father to visit an airfield. Um, How old is she in 1920? Well, let's see. She was born in 1897. So she's like in her early 20s. Gotcha. Um, so she visited an airfield with her father where Frank Hawks, who was an air racer, gave her a ride that would forever change her life. She said, by the time I had got two or three hundred feet off the ground, I knew I had to fly. And after that 10 minute flight, which uh, flight, not fight, <laughs> God, which cost her father $10, uh, she immediately determined she wanted to learn to fly. 
So she worked a whole shitload of different jobs, like photographer, truck driver, stenographer, and she managed to save $1,000 for lessons. Mm -hmm. She had her first lessons in 1921 from another woman. Uh, her teacher was Anita Nata Snook. <laughs> what a name. Love that. Yes, Anita. She was a pioneer female aviator, and she used... Um, it was just like a certain type of plane. It was a Curtis JN4, whatever. That means nothing to me, but I'm sure it's cool for the time. Oh, so she said, you know, Earhart showed up and she was like, I want to fly. Will you teach me? Um, and then in order to reach the airfield for these lessons, she had to take a bus to the end of the line and then walk four miles. Dedicated. Dedicated. Anyway. Um, a Curtis JN4, by the way, is those planes with the two. I'm going to look. I'm. I'm visually explaining this for Cassie because I can't. It's like with the two things like Oh yeah. Like the, yeah. The, <laughs> We're like both the doing the signs. same hand motion. <laughs> the equal signs on each side. Right, right. <laughs> okay. But it's those old ass planes that like every time you see them in movies they take off they're like wah, 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 wah. you're like is that thing gonna get off like the ground? Of flame and shit. Yeah. yeah, okay. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, um she uh this is just a fun fact. So she, when she started doing her training, she bought a leather jacket, but she was aware that other aviators would judge her because it was, like, brand new. So she slept in it for three nights to start to give it a worn look. I love that. <laughs> Which is so cool. Um, and she cropped her hair short like other female flyers. Um, hell yeah. And then, hell yeah. Six months later, she purchased a secondhand bright yellow Kinner Airster biplane, which she nicknamed the Canary. Um... And then so she took that plane to an altitude of 14,000 feet, setting the world record for female pilots. Yes. Um, and she, she became, uh, in, let's see, in May 15th, 1923, she became the 16th woman in the United States issued a pilot's license, which is so cool. This is wild. I know. Literally all we like learn this... is that she disappeared. I know. So, like, this is, this, my, my talk today is a short course in history. <laughs> and my then it's going to get talk. into the cool shit. So anyway, um, in 1927, Charles Lindbergh did a solo flight across the Atlantic, and like you know, everybody was like, "Ah, great!" I forgot whatever. about so, Lindbergh. Right, he baby. was like a big deal. And his baby. Oh yeah, true. Mm. I don't talk about his baby. That's okay. But maybe we should sometime. I was actually gonna do the Lindbergh baby. I forget what episode, but I feel like we've talked so much about it. It's gonna happen. So anyway, um. Let's see. After that, this woman named Amy, Amy Guest expressed interest in being the first woman to fly or be flown across the Atlantic Ocean, but she decided that it was too perilous, so she said she'd sponsor it, and then they found, in April 1928, uh, Amelia Earhart, and sure. so she was like, hell yeah, mama didn't raise no wuss, like, That's right. let's do this, quote, <clears throat> writes... <laughs> Her most so famous she, um, yeah, and so so most of that flight was on instruments that she didn't have any training with. So she actually didn't pilot the aircraft across the Atlantic. Um, oh, I didn't know she that. Said that. Yeah, she said that the guy Stoltz who flew her, she was like, he did all the flying. He had to. I was just baggage, like a sack of potatoes. She said, maybe I'll try it alone someday. I was like, holy shit. And then I have a point here, and I was like, became a celebrity, wrote books, and made a fashion line. <laughs> But you know what I like is that she fully admitted, like, she could have easily not admitted to that. A hundred percent. And said so she was like, I'm like, a fucking sack of potatoes back there. Like, one day I'll do it for real. Yeah, which is cool, because at least she was like, 
put it on the list. Right. <laughs> it's gonna happen. She's you know? a G. Um, she is a G. So then for a little while after she became like a celebrity, she did like competitive flying. Um, again, the 99s, that organization of female pilots. And da 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 Oh, she suggested the name for the group because of the name of the, the number of charter members they had for it. So there was like a lot of women interested in this. That's where that came from. Uh, let's see. She was a, rig- a vigorous advocate for female pilots. Um, yeah. So anyway, she was at, at during this time she was like engaged to a chemical engineer, but then she ended it. Like she, I guess she just like wasn't into it. So then she became involved with her publisher George Putnam oh. after he like re- relentlessly pursued her, like for years. So that's creepy. I don't like him. And I'll tell you another reason why I don't like him later. But anyway, they married in 1931, right? Mm-hmm. So she was forward thinking, as we know. So she referred to her marriage as a partnership with dual control. In a letter that she wrote to George and hand delivered to him on the day of the wedding, she said, I want you to understand I will not hold you to any uh, medieval code of fa- medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor will I consider myself bound to you similarly. I may not have to keep some place where I, or I may have to keep some place where I can go to be alone now and then, and I cannot agree to endure at all times the confinement of even an attractive cage. What? She's incredible. She also she's me. So anyway, so she was like a boss. She was very ahead of her time, and like there, you know, there were times when she was interviewed by um, the New York Times, and they insisted on calling her Mrs. Putnam, and she just like laughed at it because she was like, I really would rather just have my own name. Um, you know, so eventually her husband became referred to as Mr. Earhart. <laughs> I love that. Also, I, I, I don't know too. if this got lost in the shuffle, but her letter to him is, like, so huge. Oh, I know. It's, also, really groundbreaking. she's me. <laughs> she is so cool. She's like, uh, yeah, yeah, we're getting married, but you don't own me. I know, You know, like, time. she doesn't. Yeah, so she was really cool and um, definitely had a sense of, like, self, you know. Yeah. Which was, like, especially for that time is huge yeah that's righteous so let's see he had like kids from a previous marriage they never had any children together but she was like particularly fond of his one son david um i guess they were like buddies that's cute over time she had several solo flights in 1935 like i said before she joined purdue as the faculty member so and then in 1936 is when she started planning her around the world flight um, others had flown around the world, but hers would be the longest. It was 29,000 miles uh, because it followed a roughly equatorial route. Um, so Purdue financed it. They got the Lockheed Electra 10E, which was the aircraft from Lockheed Aircraft Company. It had her specifications with included extensive modifications for the fuselage for additional fuel tanks like so she helped to design all of this too and she didn't have any formal training in any of this so she was clearly like a brilliant woman i mean it sounds like she was at least familiar with planes she knew enough but like for her to be like we're doing this we're doing this yeah yeah it's huge she's she's out there she's in charge of that excuse me she is another cute so anyway (laughs) the plane i don't even move my mic either i just burp straight into it Oh, and I don't edit it out. You? Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck me. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, Mom. Uh, so, anyway, she called her uh, her plane the Flying Laboratory because there was so much shit in it. Love that. 
let's see. And so it was hangared at Mance's U- United Air Services, which was just across the airfield from Lockheed Plant. But although it was called her flying laboratory, little useful science was planned, and the flight was arranged around her intention to circumnavigate the globe, along with gathering raw material and public attention for her next book. So the planning of it, honestly, this flight was a little bit shoddy. Um, Not great. Like the... the the navigation itself. <laughs> so Probably anyway. not a great idea to have that time the planning be shoddy. Probably not. So anyway, she chose Captain Henry Manning as her navigator. He'd been the captain of the President Roosevelt, which was a ship that had brought her back from Europe in 1928 from a flight. Um, but he was not only a navigator, but he was also skilled in radio and knew Morse code. Um, and then... They also found Fred Noonan, who was subsequently chosen as a second navigator. By the way, big fan was... of that guy's name. Noonan. Love it. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, Fred Noonan. Oh, That's such a name of that time, I so feel like. So good. It is. Uh, he was the second navigator because there were significant additional factors um, with, like, celestial navigation. And so he had a lot of experience in marine and flight navigation. Uh, so they had both of them. But eventually Manning, like, dropped out of the project. I, and I don't really know exactly what happened there. That's weird. But anyway, so th- the first attempt of this trip happened March 17th, 1937. St. Patty's um, Day. They were, I know. They were flying the first leg from Oakland, California to Honolulu. Um, let's see. They had to, like, there was issues with lubrication and, like, issues with the propellers, so they had to get the aircraft serviced in Hawaii and ultimately it ended up being at the U.S. Navy's Luke Field on Ford Island in Pearl Harbor Um, the flight resumed three days later with her Noonan and Manning on board and then during the takeoff run there was like an uncontrolled ground loop and like the landing gear collapsed and both propellers hit the ground and it skidded on its belly and like a whole portion of the runway was damaged (laughs) I know like it's just like the shit hit the fan and now nobody knows what caused all of this. Some at the field say that they saw a um, like a tire blue. Um, Earhart thought that the right ta- uh, the right tire had blown or the right landing gear had collapsed. Collapsed, but Mance said that there was pilot error. Okay, so let's all just stop pointing fingers at her. For real, please. Okay, so anyway, but Manning was, was with them at this time. At that time, yeah. And then he abandoned. Um, I guess he was probably like, this isn't This isn't, this isn't, this isn't what me. I want. Bye, 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 <laughs> bye, bye. I'm not fine. So it was damaged, the flight was called off, and it was shipped by sea to the Lockheed Burbank facility. So then here comes a second attempt. <laughs> so while that was being re- repaired, um, Earhart and her husband secured additional funds and prepared for the second attempt. This time they were going to fly west to east, and so they had an unpublicized flight from Oakland to Miami, and then arriving there, she announced her plans to circumnavigate the globe. So they st- instead started at Miami. Um, and part of that was because there were changes in wind and weather patterns along the initial planned route. <laughs> it's like, well, shouldn't we have accounted this? But anyway, on the second flight, Fred Noonan was her only other c- crew member. So it was just the two of them. They departed Miami June 1st. And they had, you know, numerous stops in South America, Africa, the Indian subcontinent, Southeast Asia, and then they arrived at Leh, New Guinea, on June 29th, 1937, my birthday. Ooh! I know. So, at this stage, they had accomplished 22,000 miles of the journey. So, it was almost done. They only had 7,000 miles left. They literally only had a couple stops left. They were so close. 
And so on July 2nd, uh, midnight, they took off from Ley Airfield in New Guinea in the heavily loaded plane. Um, their destination was a small island called Howland Island. And it was just like this flat piece of land. It was like 6,500 feet long and 1,600 feet wide. So it's literally just like this tiny little spit of land. Oh, God. I know. And it was um, a little over 2,500 miles away. Uh, they had 1,100 gallons of gasoline in there when they left. Around 3 p.m. lay time, she reported her altitude as 10,000 feet, but that they were going to reduce it because there were thick clouds. Around 5 p.m., she reported as 7,000 feet, and their speed was 150 knots. And their last lone, known position report was near the Nukumanu Islands, which were about 800 miles into the flight. So, you know, they were into it. During the flight, they said that Noonan might have been able to do some celestial navigation to try and figure out the position, but I think because of the clouds, I think the clouds played a significant role in all of this, and I'll get to it. But anyway, the plane was supposed to cross the international dateline during the flight, um, but if they failed to account for the dateline, it would account for a one degree or 60 mile position error, and then once you're on the air, I mean, you're like, you know, right. it's just only going to continue. So anyway, the radio equipment. There were two sets. There was radio equipment for both communication and navigation, but there is not a lot of details on what they had. They failed to establish two-way radio communications with the Itasca, which was a ship waiting near the island they were supposed to land on that was there to help them with the navigation. Um, so they could never get a two-way radio communication going. They couldn't radio locate it. Um, I have some notes here about the specific like transmitters, but we don't really... We don't really give a wow, shit. Wow, you wanted to get transmitter <laughs> detail? I did. I did That's so wild. much research on this. So it had to, like, the, the bottom line was their transmitter was capable of transmitting at certain frequencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was modified to theoretically provide the correct frequency to reach the ship. But basically, um, they couldn't get it. Like, it didn't work. It was supposed to have two antenna inputs, uh, a low-frequency one and a high-frequency one. Um, Like, they were supposed to have a beat-frequency oscillator that could help with, like, finding continuous waves. Um, But neither Earhart nor Noonan were capable of using Morse code. Um, They relied on voice communications only. And they also said that the loop antenna that was connected to it might have been removed before their second attempt because I believe Earhart said that, like, it was too much it was in the way like it made landing difficult like they would have had to like pull it into the plane and like drop it out when they were gonna oh, be right, communicating right. and then you know like it was gonna be a whole thing and so i some people say that they had it like removed um they did notice that there were radio reception issues while flying across the u.s and people supposedly modified it but i don't know it like it it lost its ability to receive high-frequency transmissions. I don't know. There was issues with it. And so the Itasca heard Earhart on a certain frequency, but it didn't hear her on others. Um, So anyway, the boat was stationed near the island. Its task was to communicate with her and guide them to the island once they were in the vicinity. Um, And they expected to do the voice communications on a certain frequency during the night and on another frequency during the day. And then through a series of misunderstandings or errors, the final approach to Highland, Howland Island was using radio navigation and it wasn't successful. Fred Noonan had written about problems affecting the accuracy during the navigation. But anyway, the, their plane expected the Itasca to transmit signals. 
um, and they could use a uh, radio detection frequency beacon to find it, and it would help them, like, lead it to the to the boat, gotcha. pretty much. But anyway, so all of that shit was going on, and then they start approaching the island. It received strong and clear voice transmissions from her, identifying, like, with the right title and everything, but she was unable to hear anything from them, so she just kept talking. Um... They tried to use signals from the ship, but, like, they couldn't find anything. So the first calls happened and said that the weather was cloudy and overcast, and they were received at 2.45, just bef- and also, again, just before 5 a.m. Um, they were broken up by static, but it would still be a while out, so they thought it would get stronger. At 6.14 a.m., another call was received stating that the aircraft was within 200 miles and requested that the ship start to use its direction finder to provide a bearing for them. And she started whistling into the microphone to help provide a continual signal for them to, like, hone in on, which, like, brilliant. That is brilliant. By the way. Um, and then the radio operators on the boat realized that it wasn't going to work. They were, like, they were just, quote, sitting there sweating blood because I couldn't do a damn thing about it. So, like, on the boat they knew. They were, like, we can't reach her. It's not happening. Um, another call asking for bearing was received at 645, and she estimated they were 100 miles out. Um, at 7.30 to 7.40 a.m., the ship log states, Earhart on, I don't know what N-W-S-E-Z means, but probably like a directional, running out of gas, only a half hour left, can't hear you at all, or we can't hear her at all, but she can hear, we can hear her, but she can't hear us, sorry. And they're sending it at the same frequency constantly. And then at 7.42, they say um, that her plane was calling to them, and it says, we must be on you, but we can't see you. Gas is running low. We've been unable to reach you by radio, and we're flying at a 1,000 feet. And then at 7.58 a.m., there was a transmission that said she couldn't hear the boat. She asked them to send voice signals so she can try and get it. Um, The boat tried to send it on the loudest possible signal. Um, So they tried Morse code, but neither of them could... Right. speak more or like understand it but um she did acknowledge receiving it but she said they couldn't determine their direction and then her last known transmission was at 8:43 a.m. and it says we're on the line 157337 we will repeat this message we will repeat it on 6210 kilocycles wait and then a few minutes later she was back on the same frequency that, that was logged as um with a transmission that was logged as questionable and it's, she just said we're lining we're running online north and south so she seemed to believe that they had reached the charted position, but people think that she was incorrect by several miles, and I think that's where the clouds come into play. Mm-hmm. I think that Noonan fucked up the directions and that they were actually way off course. Yeah, because especially if that's where they're... Holy shit, so these people think that they're... These people. Earhart and Noonan think that they're in one spot. The clouds probably fucked his his navigation they're trying to talk to the boat and that's probably why the she can't hear the boat right and so like all this shit's going on like there's like i think like god the universe just like conspired against them on this last leg of the journey like i think there was shit wrong with the radios i think like the something happened with the navigation i think that that other asshole should have stayed on so they could fucking understand morse code just saying right why did he beg off I don't know. It's debatable as to whether there are any post-loss radio signals. Like, peop- some say that signals came in, but others have debunked it, and it's just like, uh, there's a lot of back and forth about it. Um, search efforts happened within a- an hour of the last call. The boat started looking around the island for them. Right. Um, the Navy joined in for several days. 
Um, here's what I think. So search efforts were eventually directed to the Phoenix Islands and Gardner Island, which had been uninhabited for 40 years. Um, but when they searched it, they said there were signs of recent habitation, which were clearly visible, but repeated circling and zooming failed to elicit any answering wave from possible inhabitants. And it was finally taken for granted that none were there. I think they were on Gardner Island. That's what I think happened. And I'll tell you how far out it was. That's later in my research. Um, and like the, there was a lagoon on the Island that looked sufficiently deep and large enough that she, like she could have like landed the plane on, on the lagoon if she really needed to or something. But they think it was um, uninhabited based on what? It was noted to be unha- uninhabited <clears throat> for 40 years. And then they saw signs of recent habitation, but then they were just like, okay, we circled and we didn't see anybody. I'm like, well, that's shitty. Get off your fucking shit and search it. But the, like, I guess my question is, is like, is it uninhabited based on, white people uninhabited or is it like actually uninhabited you know what i'm saying when i say oh, I that like they didn't yeah right like were there like were there people that people right there? were there people there originally and white people are like oh we were never we haven't been there for 40 years so there's nobody there you know what i mean i mean like i guess it's i guess it's possible i don't know um but also the gardner island shape and size recorded on charts were like really inaccurate so i'm wondering if they confused it and thought ah. that it was so they and thought it was anyway the official search efforts lasted until july 19th 1937 um then her husband like finance financed the private search by local authorities again they weren't really finding anything and so in the u.s he acted to become the trustee of her estate so that he could pay for the searches and everything and then in probate court in los angeles he requested to have the declared death in absentia seven-year waiting period waived so that he could manage her finances so she was legally declared dead january 5th 1939 basically because he wanted her money right so i'll just leave that there right yeah just let that hang there so here are the theories one is the crash and sink simply that they ran out of fuel while they were looking they ditched at sea they died god that's awful i know but like the plane had enough fuel supposedly that there would have been some extra time to spare and like it would have covered for contingencies like headwinds and searching for the island but it wasn't fully fueled at lay before they left Another one, you know, that he, they thought that he miscalculated the single-line approach, intended to hit Howland. Gardner Island is a big one, where uh, having not found the island, they wouldn't waste time searching for it, and so they would turn to the south and look for other islands to land on and try to, like, run signals from mm. there, I think. And so um, they... F- let's see. It would take them past something called Baker Island, and if they missed it, they would fly over the Phoenix Islands, which are now part of uh, Republic, which is about 350 nautical miles south-southeast of Howland Island. The Gardner Island hypothesis has the plane making it to Gardner Island, which is one of those islands. So it's only 350 nautical miles off course. Mm. So I think it's close enough that it's probable that they could have landed there. Right. Based on their fuel. Um, And so a week after she disappeared... um, Navy planes searched the island. They saw signs of recent habitation and the wreck of a, an old boat, but did not see any signs of her plane or people. So I'm like, I don't understand. Like, if they saw signs of habitation... Why didn't they land? Why didn't they land and check it, like, better? Um, so in 1937, a couple of other guys visited Gardner with some potential settlers. A group walked a- around the island, but didn't find a plane or evidence. But in 1938... Um, laborers landed on the island and started constructing a settlement. 
1939 there was a survey of the island and in 1940 a skull was discovered and buried um, let's see and then the British colonial officer didn't know about that until September he did a more thorough search of the discovery area including looking for art artifacts such as like rings or jewelry or something and they found more bones a bottle a shoe and a sextant box what is that a sextant is it was like, like a, a compass um, it's yeah it's like for marine navigation ah. now fred noonan was experienced in marine navigation the shoe that was found was supposedly consistent with a female shoe of that era and later like they also found i'll get into it but they found like a little um like a little cosmetic case that she would have had like they found things that make me feel like it's gardner island right um, so anyway, they found more bones. There's a, been a lot of back and forth about the bones. In 1941, the guy, like a guy at Central Medical School, um, he examined the bones, took measurements, wrote a report, and he said that the person was five, five and a half, um, and it was definitely a male, is what he said. Wait, what? And that he was an older male. But in 1998, they did a reanalysis by forensic anthropologists, and they said that actually it was a tall white female northern european ancestry um but then again then it went back again saying it was a middle-aged man and then in 2018 another anthropologist looked at it and was like look this is probably her this is a woman like he did this whole thing on it so i think it's her there's been a lot of back and forth but like also if you look at images of her she was like she was tall very lanky like she didn't have like a very like curvaceous thing so like her bone structure might have been slightly more consistent with right that of a male you know what right. i mean it's also like they kept looking for a plane but if like let's say she is running out of fuel and just dive bombs and hits the island why would they like maybe the plane would I don't, I don't know, because I don't understand this that well. But, like, what if I, a storm comes or something and the plane gets swept out? Right, and here's this. So, in 1988, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, P.S., I want to be a part of it, anyway, began an investigation about all of this. They sent expeditions to Gardner Island, and um, they suggested that they might have flown without further radio transmissions for two and a half hours along the line that they had last reported. Oh, shit and found found Gardner Island, landed it on an extensive reef. Um, and then in 2012, a photograph, which was taken in 1937 of the reef, has a blurry object sticking out of it in the lower left corner of the, ba the black and white photo, and it's consistent with a strut and wheel of a Lockheed Electra landing gear. So that's where they so, landed. Pretty much. And, like, so there's been a lot of, like, archaeological and anecdotal evidence supporting it. Like I said, you know, they found, um, let's see, they found improvised tools, uh, an aluminum panel, possibly from an Electra. It was made using 1930s manufacturing specifications, an oddly cut clear piece of plexiglass, the same thickness and curvature as an Electra window, a size 9 cat's paw heel dating from the 1930s, which resembles her footwear in world flight photos. She was wearing a heel? Oh, God. I know. 1930s that's all I'm saying anyway the sextant box um, that they found was alleged to belong to Fred Noonan and it had serial numbers on it but some say that the serial numbers like don't line up uh, so 
there's a lot of theories. There's another one saying that they got caught by the Japanese and that, like, they thought they were spies. And, like, there was this whole thing with this photograph that people took where there's a woman sitting on the edge of the dock and a guy with, like, very similar, like, a very similar hairline to Fred Noonan. And they were like, but that eventually got debunked. And they were like, no, that's actually from, like, a travel brochure. <laughs> it's not from this at all. And then there are other myths. I mean, there are myths saying that they were spies for FDR. There were myths saying that she was uh, like a, a Tokyo Rose. Um, there is What's another a Tokyo myth that Rose? like she. Oh, so in World War Two, I believe Tokyo Rose was like a it was like a female radio transmission about the war. Okay. So they claimed that she was Tokyo Rose. What? Give me that again. <laughs> I know. I know. So that's another one. And then there's a last one that says that, like, she actually, like, made it back to New York somehow and then assumed another identity. And, like, everybody went so far as to, like, find the woman that they thought was her and, like, harass her about it. And she was like, look, this isn't, I'm not her. That's awful. That's awful (laughs) for that woman. I know. So it was, like, a whole thing. But really, when all said and done, I'm a big proponent of the Gardner Island. Yeah hypothesis why the and fuck so, didn't they land on that island and search it i don't know like it's so stupid i have no idea why they didn't do that i mean I, maybe they were like we don't have the money for it but seriously like come on just send two guys an american hero fuck you that's it's just so, wild that they were like oh there's been recent inhabitants but uh, nobody weighs yeah, so let's watched, go i even watched this youtube video of like um they took the photo I know they took the that photograph that showed like the landing like the wheel or whatever mm-hmm. and they took it and did like this 3D rendering and it like it works it totally works here's what happened they landed on the reef they made it to the island tried to figure something out for themselves and eventually they they probably died from exposure or natural causes or starvation whatever. yeah starvation dehydration right. whatever you know, something happened and they, they died. That sucks. Like they've it does suck. They were so close, right? That it was the last stretch of their journey. Seven thousand miles. I mean, they were so close to, and that's what makes it even more heartbreaking. But ever since then I've been totally fascinated because she's this incredible woman and that she just disappeared. I kinda of blame Manning, to be honest. The guy that didn't go. Yeah, because he fucking knew Morse code. He should have gone. So he could have helped them. When the ship was sending Morse code. And, like, I feel bad because just try, like, imagine being the person on the ship being like, oh, my God, we're doing everything and they can't hear us. Right. What a feeling of helplessness. And then imagine being in her shoes being like, we can hear you, but I don't think that they can hear. Like, right. I, I cannot even imagine the level of fear that they probably felt, like, in those moments. Um, and her, and they, the people on the boat must have been just... I think that is potentially the. I mean, I don't know, but I think that must be the scariest position because you're just knowing, and yeah. you can hear them, and you know she's running out of gas, and you're like, "Oh my god!" I know, and she's like half hour left. I would be like, "Oh my fucking god!" Like, why? Oh. I would have, like, I couldn't even. Okay, here. Tokyo Rose was a name given by Allied troops in the South Pacific during World War II uh. to all female English speaking radio broadcasters of Japanese po- propaganda. I don't even. I, I didn't even bother no. writing down any significant details on that theory because I was like, no, 
just no. <laughs> like, Don't buy it. At Don't first like I thought, it. okay, well, yeah, maybe they did get captured by, like, the Japanese somehow. But then I, like, read about it more, and I was like, I don't think that this... No, this doesn't even add up. No, I, the Gardner Island hypothesis is hands down, like, the one that makes the most sense. And the fact that they've found archaeological evidence, it just, you know... But those last moments, they're like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine how those people felt. I... And I think that's what makes me so, like, fascinated with it. They were so fucking close. So, the long and short of it is, the navigation got a little fucked up. They found the island, maybe thinking it was Howland Island, maybe just trying to land somewhere. And that's what happened. I'm sure it was panic landing at that point. They were like, an island! That's what I would have done. Yeah, it would have been like, I gotta get this thing down. I'm out of gas. I don't want to go into the ocean. Like, anything is better than this. Yeah. Have you... um... This doesn't really relate, but it kind of does. Have you ever seen the movie Dunkirk? No. What? I know, but it's supposed to be so it good, right? It was fucking incredible. I'm also a huge Christopher Nolan fan, but it, it was... My hair is really cool, it was, by the way. Uh, yeah, I know. I... I, I um, anyway, he has, like... Now I'm just going to start being a nerd about Dunkirk. But he has, like, three different timelines running, so it's, like, one in the air, one's in the, on the sea, one's on the land. Oh, okay. And the pilot in the air, who's played by Tom Hardy, loses fuel. Yes. And it's, like, oh. and he can't, like, his fuel gauge is broken because he gets shot at. So you're just watching this man just, like, be like, I guess I'm almost out. And he's just, like, flying around. I'm like, that's horrifying. Forget it. Forget it. That's so scary. No way. I know. So, yeah, that's the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. There's like that's fucking way bananas. more detail to it. There's way more detail to it than I ever knew about. Like, I was always just like, ooh, she disappeared. Probably like Bermuda Triangle or some shit. But like, you know, so not the case. Yeah, I was actually anyway. going to do Bermuda Triangle and I can't give any more credence to that bullshit. Like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I can't do it. I couldn't do it. I started doing research, and I was like, I'm not doing this. This makes me so angry. I'm not doing this. And I just, so, yeah, well, the Bermuda Triangle whole thing is, like, just, I don't even know what to, I'll probably eventually cover something like that, because I am the way I am, but it is so bullshit. It, ugh. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. It, it is bullshit. But anyway, like, the this story of hers, like, it's fascinating. Yeah, they disappeared and it's tragic. But it's fascinating also just her as a figure. Yeah, she's incredible. And of course, like, we don't learn... Uh, here we go. But we don't learn anything <laughs> about how amazing she is. We learn that she's no, she the first huge. woman to... What, what was the first thing she did? Fly across the Atlantic. Right. And then, and then we learn that she disappeared. And that's all we learn. It's like two sentences in a history book, and I'm like, this is annoying because look at all this other shit she achieved. Right. So but that's, I mean, th- oh. that is we wouldn't have that is the we st- wouldn't have made it to the moon without women, but it's fine. But alas, let's just like you know leave that yeah. out. <laughs> but Neil Armstrong, so and, um, that other guy, what's his name? Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin. I like him the best because apparently when someone said the moon landing wasn't real in a bar, he punched them. <laughs> That's great. Also, probably would have been the reaction that I would have had. Right? I just think that's so funny. Like, you're saying this to Buzz Aldrin, he's like, fuck you, and just knocks him out. Shut up. Like, that's yeah. amazing. 
<laughs> but anyway, that's the story of like the love of my life, Amelia Earhart. That's awesome. And I could not tell you why I've been obsessed with her since I was six. Because she's fucking cool, that. and that's a tragic way for her to go. It's so fucked up. That sucks. On that happy yeah, note, for real. Oh my god. <laughs> th- thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. Yeah, we had really happy stories. A guy, we, yeah. a guy on a Scottish island definitely killed two other guys and then threw and himself Amelia off Earhart the cliff. died on an island. And Amelia Earhart and Noonan died on an island. And Noonan. I know. So uh, enjoy the rest of you know, your week, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Have a good week. Stay and out I of guess planes. We'll see you next week. And stay away from lighthouses. And maybe we'll actually get a listener following. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Wouldn't that be neat? Anyway, find us again on social media, on Twitter, at Oddities Tweets, Instagram, at Oddities Insta. Our personal accounts are also in the biographies, so if you'd like to follow our actual individual lives, uh, you're welcome to. Well, (laughs) within reason. (laughs) Within reason, don't be creepy. And uh, don't forget, if you'd like to email us, it's oddities.talk at gmail.com and on Facebook we're Oddities Podcast and this is also available on iTunes got confirmation hey. on iTunes Stitcher, Google Podcast and Spotify because that's where I listened to our first episode this week was on Spotify um, <sighs> and next week because Cassie's very organized you're doing, I'm sorry 1800s vampire scares yes and in fact I wrote <sighs> I wrote the the research that I presented at the National Conference for Undergraduate Research is about this topic. I'm so excited. I included it in my senior honors thesis. I'm pumped, but I'm going to have a lot of info to boil down and quickly. What the actual fuck is happening? It's so cool. I can't wait to tell you about it. It's great. Uh, there's a little science. There's a little medicine. Oh, there's a little what? myth. Just wait. Okay, I'm very excited. And because I am wildly unorganized... I don't have anything for uh, next week. Ooh. I love surprises. Yeah, I kind of like surprises myself. I'm a surprise master. Um, Maybe I'll delete the rest of my topics then and just keep them to myself. No, no, because you're, it, first of all. But then we get a theme going. Yeah, that's that's because I jump off of yours and somehow relate it. Okay. But all the, right. I just saw later on that we have glitches in the Matrix, which I'm so fucking excited about. I kind of almost feel like we should both cover it. Glitches in the Matrix? Yeah. I have, first of all, I have so many thoughts about the fact that we potentially live in a simulation. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) You and me both. That is going to be a wild episode. That That may be the episode that I end up drinking while recording. That is absolutely the episode we should drink and record. That's also, it. that's it. So I have to talk yeah, about my my childhood theory that I had about the sky. That's going to be that episode. Oh my god, I can't fucking wait. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That that's going to so be a good episode. There's lots of cool things to come, so uh, you know, you better just subscribe. We've been forgetting to tell people to subscribe. So please, if you like this podcast subscribe. even remotely, subscribe. We're getting better with time. We are like a fine wine. <laughs> like a fine wine or a decent cheese so <laughs> that's you know not not accurate if the shoe fits right. so anyway somebody sponsor us okay that's, that's it. it see you guys next week <laughs> bye. bye guys thank you bye